Morning, church. I don't know what your week has been like. Uh, mine has been extremely hectic and crazy, and uh, I am just so thankful that, honestly, that we started that way. Um, you know, the, the normal Sunday morning is uh, a little more up-tempo, upbeat, but I needed that time just personally to uh, just kind of settle in in the presence of God. And uh, I think there's times where we go through, this, as Nate was saying, the busyness and the hecticness of life, and uh, we forget about the fact that we're supposed to, to rest every now and again and stop doing and just being in the presence of God. Um, Psalm 46.10 says, be still and know that I'm God. Um, we, we struggle with that be still part at times. Um, as Bill said this morning, uh, I am teaching, and we kind of swapped last Sunday, every, every Sunday morning before we start a service, our first service, uh, the worship team, the speakers, and all the people doing everything in here meet in the youth room, and we review the service, we make sure we got all our marks set, and we know what's going on in the plan, and, and then we pray, and, and uh, we're talking about it, and it's been set for a long time that I was going to preach next Sunday, and Bill was going to preach this Sunday, and I kind of got the sense last Sunday that Bill really, for some reason, wanted to teach on depression, and uh, I gladly do not want to teach on depression. Um, as Karen said, you know, I'm the last person in the world that needs to be on an antidepressant. Um, but uh, so I, I said to Bill last Sunday, I'm like, do you, do you really want to preach that week? And, and he's like, yeah, I'd love to actually. And I was like, all right, well, I'll, I'll preach this week. I didn't have my Blackberry with me. I didn't know my schedule this past week. And it was a little hectic this week. Um, but it, it was great. A lot of great stuff. And uh, I'm just so thankful, like I said, that we started that way of just coming into the presence of God and uh, coming back to the heart of worship, because it really is all about Jesus Christ and what he is doing in our world and in us and through us. Um, and this morning, the message I want to bring to you um, is actually um, a message that God has been put on my heart uh, convicting me personally about. Uh, we're talking about prayer and uh, convicting me personally about. And uh, so he and I have been wrestling with this for a while and still haven't got it all figured out, still a work in progress. We, we talk about here at Great Oaks, we all have a next step to take, and this is one of my next steps, is to become more intentional and, and, and expectant in my prayers, and we'll talk more about what that means. And so it just worked out great. Um, you know, I have a friend here in the church that says, uh, the Father, Son, and the Holy Coincidence. Um, it just happened to work out well that the thing that God was wrestling with me is the very thing that I get to teach on today. And uh, so it, it's going to be a little bit of, um, I don't know the right word to say. I don't want it to be a burden to us, but um, a little bit heavy. I used all my jokes a couple weeks ago, so I don't have any more. Um, let me just put it that way. Uh, if you haven't been with us these last couple weeks, we've been talking about Elijah, and the story is found in 1 Kings. If you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn there. But uh, just to, uh, to bring some people up to speed, if you missed the last two Sundays, Elijah is a prophet of God, which simply means that God has given him a message to declare to a certain person at a certain time in history. And uh, Elijah comes out of nowhere, we've never seen this guy before, and arrives on the scene to talk to um, Ahab, the king of Israel. And Ahab's the cruelest king that the nation of Israel has ever known. And uh, Elijah comes on the scene, comes up to Ahab, complete nobody, uh, in front of you know, the w leader of the world, basically, and says, what you're doing is wrong, you're sinning, you're worshiping the wrong God, you need to come back to God. And, uh, and then God takes Elijah, and rather than starting a public ministry, which is what we would think he would do, is start sharing that message around the entire nation, uh, God says, you know what, I need to take you and prepare you in what's called the Kareth Ravine. And so he takes him to this desert region, and he says, I'm going to teach you to depend on me. 
And he says, you're going to be in this region. There's no, going to be uh, no rain and no dew on the ground for three and a half years. Uh, that was the, the promise that God had made. And that's the message that, a, that Elijah delivered to Ahab. He says, but I'm going to take you out into this Kareth ravine. I'm going to have ravens, which is why we have the, the bird on the screen here. I'm going to have ravens provide you with meat and with bread, and we'll, we'll uh, feed you. And then you'll be able to drink out of this ravine. In the midst of a nationwide drought, I'll keep one stream flowing, and that's the stream that you get to drink out of. And so he's there in the, in the desert, and if you've ever been in the desert, there's not much to do. So you spend a lot of time talking to God. And uh, so he's getting to know God. He's pr- spending time in prayer. Um, he's learning to depend and trust upon God. And then one day, God says, okay, we're all done here in the Kareth Ravine. I want you to go to a little town called Zarephath, and there's a widow there. And Elijah's thinking, okay, I'm going to go to Zarephath. I'm going to meet this widow's needs and uh, provide for her and her son. And and God says, no, 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 Um, she's actually going to provide for you. And so he's starting to learn about humility. And so he comes into Zarephath. He meets this widow on the outskirts of town. She's collecting some wood, if you remember Bill teaching last week. Um, she was going to make one last meal, and then she and her son were going to die. They were just going to lay down and, and die. And Elijah says, no, no, no. God says you're going to survive. Um, give me a meal. And she goes home, cooks the very last of her food, um, gives it to Elijah, and there's enough food for them to eat. And then there's enough food. God performs a miracle, uh, continues to provide all of that. And so Elijah now moves in with this widow and her son. Well, one day the son dies, and Elijah, um, having no precedence for what to do, because this is the first uh, time that we ever see in Scripture that God has risen somebody from the dead, um, Elijah does what he knows what to do, and he prays. He takes the boy out of his mother's grieving arms and takes him to the room, and he, he prays over the boy. And God restores the boy to life. And God, once again, teaches Elijah humility. And he says, you don't know it all. You don't know how I work. You don't understand my ways. And if you just trust in me, if you depend on me, and if you're humble before me, I'm going to do amazing things through you. So God calls um, Elijah back to Ahab. Last week we learned about that. He came back to Ahab and uh, walks up to Ahab and the king says, You troubler of Israel. And you're the one causing the drought. You're the one causing all the problems that we're having. And Elijah says, (laughs) No, I, I told you three and a half years ago, I'm going to tell you again, you're the problem. The fact that you're worshiping the wrong God is the problem. And he says, we're going to have a little showdown, a little okay corral moment here. And he says, go get your 450 prophets of Baal, gather the entire nation together. We're going to, we're going to have them watch this, this throwdown. And um, so he, he challenges the prophets of Baal to a test. And he says, you know, Bill taught on this last week, uh, if you, you know, build the altar, sacrifice the bull, and call on your God Baal to come down, bring fire down from heaven, and destroy uh, this entire sacrifice. And so the prophets are like, hey, that's, that's good. Our God is the God of fire. And so that makes sense. And so they build the altar, they sacrifice the bull, and they start praying. And they're dancing around the altar. And in, in frenzy, they're, they're starting to cut themselves, you know, with their knives and drawing blood and trying to, to, to get their God to respond. And then, of course, Elijah, like a good uh, man of God, stands on the sideline and taunts them. Says, you know, yell louder, pray harder, cut yourselves deeper. Maybe your God has gone on a fishing trip, or, or as Bill said last week, maybe he's in the bathroom and you need to get his attention. Um, I, I don't know why my kids do that, but when I'm in the bathroom, there's inevitably a knock. You know, why? <clears throat> Total side note. Um, so Elijah is taunting the prophets of Baal. And finally, they, they just give up. No fire from heaven has ever come down. And so he goes, and he, he takes 12 stones, and he rebuilds, this is important, he rebuilds the altar of God. And the 12 stones represent the 12 tribes of Israel. 
And, and Scripture says that at the time of sacrifice, so it was a specific time in the day, at the time of sacrifice, he cuts up the bowl, puts it on there, and has them pour water and water and more water on there. And then he goes off to the side and he prays. A very, in contrast to the prophets of Baal, a very simple prayer. And at the end of this prayer, fire comes down from heaven, consumes the entire sacrifice. The nation of Israel is just awestruck. Um, you know, their God, Elijah's God has answered. The God they've been worshiping for three and a half years didn't respond. And so Elijah, being compassionate and forgiving, says, round up the 450 prophets and kill them. Um, not sure how God works all the time, but that's what he said to do. And so they do that. And, and, and here's where we pick up. Uh, you know, and uh, really the people, this is kind of a, a word, a phrase that came to me. Uh, the people had witnessed the power of Elijah's public prayer. They'd seen the fire come down from heaven. They'd witnessed the power of his public prayer. And now they were going to see the results of his private prayer. And we pick up in 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 41. Elijah said to Ahab, go eat and drink, for there is the sound of a heavy rain. No rain has come yet. No clouds are in the sky. It's still crystal blue sky. But, but Elijah knows the promises of God, knows what to expect, and so says, Ahab, you better go eat and drink. You better, you're going to need strength for the journey. So Ahab went off to eat and drink, but Elijah climbed to the top of Carmel. It's the mountain they were on. And he, he went by himself. He bent down to the ground and put his face between his knees. He told his servant, go and look toward the sea. His servant went up and looked. There's nothing there, he said. Seven times Elijah said, go back. The seventh time the servant reported, a cloud as small as a man's hand is rising from the sea. So Elijah said, go and tell Ahab, hitch up your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. Meanwhile, the sky grew black with clouds, the wind rose, a heavy rain came on it, and Ahab rode off to Jezreel. The power of the Lord came upon Elijah, and tucking his cloak into his belt, he ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. And what I want to do this morning is I want to kind of break this down for us as we talk about this idea of prayer. Here's... In a nutshell, here's the burden that God has put on my heart. And I, I want to share it with you because I, th I think it's a burden that you need to have on your heart. He said to me, Chris, I don't know that you really believe what you say when you pray. He said to me, Chris, I don't, I don't know if you really expect me to answer your prayers when you ask me. You, you sound like it, you, you, know, you use the right words, but I don't know if deep down inside in your heart you really believe that I can do that. That you really believe that I'll, I'll, I'll come through on that for you. Or that I'll, I'll answer that prayer. And I think, unfortunately, too many of us as Christ followers struggle with the same burden. We know we're supposed to pray. We know that we should pray. Uh, but we don't pray. And when we do pray, it's more often out of obligation or because it's expected of us. But not because we really sense the power of prayer. Not because we really expect God to answer our prayers. And so this whole teaching time this morning is to help us move past that struggle so that we understand the power of prayer and we expect God to answer our prayers. You see, the nation of Israel had suffered three and a half years of drought. And when they came together, when, when, when Elijah called and said, we're going to come together, we're going to have a, a showdown here uh, against the prophets of Baal, they were looking for a physical solution. They were looking for a solution to their physical need for rain, for water. They've been having three and a half years of, of, of no rain, uh, this drought. But what God was more passionate about, more so than their need for water, was the spiritual drought that was going on in their lives. Their hearts had turned away from God, and, and he needed to turn it back. And so he needed to use a physical drought to get their attention. Uh, remember the prayer in, in uh, 1 Kings 18.37, Elijah says, Answer me, O Lord. 
Answer me so these people will know that you, O Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. See, I think there's times where God uses a physical drought in our life. Some sort of of physical need that we have, uh, a burden that he's laid on our hearts, uh, but it's not about that. He's trying to get our attention so that our hearts turn back to him. It's really a spiritual need that we have, and he's trying to get our attention for that. Some of you are in a physical drought right now with your job. You've lost your job. You're looking for that job, and you're just praying over and over and over about that job, and you're not seeing any answers. Some of you have, have taken drastic pay cuts this last year in your jobs, and your family's struggling financially, and you're trying to find a, a solution to that. Some of you are facing uh, broken relationships with family members or, or loved ones, relatives, friends, and you don't know what to do with that. You're, everything you seem to try just never seems to resolve that relationship. Some of you are going through major illnesses, and, and, and no matter how often you pray, no matter how much you, you come before God, you're not hearing an answer from God. And you're in this season of physical drought. Let me throw out to you that maybe, not guaranteeing it, not saying it's the reason, but maybe for some of you that are going through those physical droughts, the reason is because God is trying to get your attention about the condition of your heart. And he's saying, I am not going to answer your need for a physical, your physical drought until we address the spiritual drought of your soul. Just like he did with the nation of Israel, he kept rain and dew from, from them, kept water, sustenance of life from them for three and a half years so that they were prepared and they were ready at the right time uh, to see God's power and to turn their hearts to God. Maybe, just maybe, that's what we are going through. Uh, see, as I said before, I think we as, as Christians, we give a lot of lip service uh, to prayer. And we know we need to do it, and, and, we, and we do it sometimes, and we say we need to do it more. Uh, and again, this is all talking to me as well as to you. Uh, our prayer meetings on Thursday nights are the lowest attended event in the life of the church. Our, our average attendance is three people. When we have six or seven, we throw a party. We're like, wow, that's great. And, and I'm telling you, I, I can't even be there on Thursday nights and, and, and because of scouts and other activities. But, you know, why is our prayer the last and, and least important thing in the life of the church? And most people, myself included, struggle with maintaining a consistent prayer life. Uh, it's just something that's difficult about it. Uh, you're in a small group, and, and you ask for a volunteer to pray, and everybody's like, oh, look, squirrel. Yeah, nobody's paying attention to you. Uh, my, my small group, uh, we met last year and, and went with a year, and one of the six-week series we did was on prayer. And we, we did this uh, Jim Cimbala uh, DVD thing, and um, just great teaching on prayer, some biblical teaching and, and incredible stories of life change from his church in, in Brooklyn, and uh, just incredible. And we're about four weeks into this, and every time I ask for people to pray, there's still the eyes going like this. And people are like, no, I don't want to pray. And I'm like, okay, we're a small group. We've been together now for a year or a half or so, and we know each other real well, and, and we're learning about prayer. We understand prayer. So why are we doing it? So the fifth week of the session, they came into small group, and I just set the, the study aside, and, and I point blank asked them, why do we not pray? Why is it that, that you're still uncomfortable with this? And we, we began to talk about it, and we began to dialogue all of their fears and their concerns. And, 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 and that night, we just spent the rest of the night praying together. And it was an incredible experience. I just loved what happened there. But for some reason, prayer intimidates us. We don't like it. It's not natural. And part of it is probably is because we become so dependent um, or so independent that we don't think we need God until we hit the wall, which is why the physical drought is sometimes necessary. 
Because God says, I need you to hit the wall so that you will finally, what you should have done at first, you will finally turn your eyes and your heart back to me. See, I wonder if we really understand the power of prayer. Uh, James, a writer in the New Testament, the half-brother of Jesus, he was a man who understood the power of prayer. I learned this this last week. Uh, James had a nickname. Uh, He was called Camel Knees. And the reason why was he spent so much time on his knees in prayer that he developed these huge calluses. Have you ever seen the knees of a camel? I mean, they're just funky-looking things. And, uh, you know, I don't think James wore shorts very often to the pool um, because his knees were just mangled from hours and hours spent on prayer, on his knees in prayer. But James writes in chapter 5 of of his book, uh, starting in verse 13, listen to the, the prayer of faith, the power that he understands in prayer. Is any one of you in trouble? He should pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise, which is his songs of prayer. Is any one of you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. And i got to think that James uh, probably had some heroes, some idols that he looked up to. And, and, uh, you know, Elijah was one of those people because he writes about Elijah here. He says, Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. Look back at verse 16. It says, the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. This morning, if you have your bulletin insert, um, I just want to give you a few quick bullet points here. I didn't put them in there. They're not filling the blanks. We're big boys and girls. You can do that. Um, So just follow along here. It's on the screen for you. Um, What are powerful and effective prayers? What is it? What are these things that come together to comprise a powerful and effective prayer? First of all, first of all, powerful and effective prayers are private. Uh, First Kings eighteen forty two says Elijah climbed to the top of Carmel. Uh, I learned this last week that there's a statue of Elijah standing today on the top of Mount Carmel. Uh, It's there today to to mark this moment. He goes off by himself. He leaves um, Ahab, he leaves all of the nation of Israel, and he and his servant by themselves climb up to the peak of Carmel, and he gets down and he prays. Matthew 6, 6, Jesus is teaching, and he says, When you pray, notice he said when, not if, when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. See, Jesus is, is countering the uh, practice of the religious leaders of the day. Uh, they would stand, the Pharisees, what they were called, they would stand on the busiest street corners in the market, and they would pray publicly, out loud, uh, using you know, incredibly spiritually sounding words. And, and it was all to draw attention to themselves. Their motivation wasn't to get themselves in the presence of God. They wasn't, their, their intention wasn't to draw the attention of God. Their intention was to draw the attention of man. And so, first of all, our powerful and effective prayers are private. Does that mean we never pray publicly? No. We pray in here. We pastors, we get up here and pray, and, and we're in our small groups, and, and we ask people to pray, and, and we pray with other people. But the motivation behind it, why we do that, we don't do it so that we look good. Let's do it so that we come together as a community and body of believers. But most often, our personal prayers need to be private. We need to have that, that prayer closet. Uh, secondly, powerful and effective prayers uh, switch from the prayers, what we say, to the person. Uh, the powerful and effective prayers are humble. First Kings 18.42 says, Elijah bent down to the ground and put his face between his knees. Uh, we've talked before about how kneeling in is a sign of, of humility. 
we kneel before our king and, and the knights of old would, would bow down and they would expose the only weakness in their armor and the king had ultimate control over their life at that point. And it's not, though, the physical act of kneeling down which makes us truly humble before God. But it's the, it's the spiritual condition of our heart. When we come to God with our prayer requests, are we coming before him as humble and contrite people? James 4, 6 says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Here, here's something interesting that I, I caught as we, I was studying this past week. Notice that Elijah, before he prayed about the sacrifice, I said this earlier, he, he took the 12 stones and he built up the altar the way it was meant to be built. And he, he sacrificed it at the time of sacrifice. Old Testament, there was a prescribed method and time for sacrifice. You did it on the altar, you did it in a certain way, and that was the way that you cleared your relationship with God before you went into your prayer requests. Before the nation could come before God, they had to make that sacrifice. In the same way, well, we don't sacrifice any animals, thankfully, um, you know, we have to come before God with the right relationship, a restored relationship. I don't know if you ever come across this verse, but it's one that, that uh, you need to sit on for a little while. Psalm sixty six eighteen, If I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. Let that sink in for a minute. We come before God with our prayer requests. We want him to help with our, our jobs, our, our broken relationships, with our, our physical illnesses, and anything else. But if we're cherishing sin in our heart, if we have unconfessed sin in our heart, God says, I can't hear you. I'm not listening. And you're going, but God, we, we got to talk. I need a job. And God's going, yeah, you need a job, but listen, we need to talk about this part of your life over here and what you're doing over here. And you're going, no, 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 that's, that's irrelevant. I need a job. I got to provide for my family. You're right. You do need to provide for your family. But, you know, Chris, I need to talk to you about this part of your life. So maybe before we come to God and we ask him for anything, what we've got to do is come before God and say, God, is there, is there anything in my life? Is there any sin that, that I've committed that you need to draw to my attention? I, I think a lot of times we know what we do wrong. We just need to confess it. And we need to own up to it in front of our God because he knows. And, and he's already forgiven it for us. All we have to do is accept that forgiveness. And what that does, Psalm 66 teaches that, is if we do that, it clears the way for God to listen to our prayer requests. But until we come clean, until we approach God with, confessed, with unconfessed sin, he will not listen to us. Powerful and effective prayers are humble. Powerful and effective prayers, God's calling. <laughs> Powerful and effective prayers are specific. He's, gonna, he's one of my student ministry volunteers. I'm going to hear about that later. So. Uh, Powerful and effective prayers are specific. Uh, 1 Kings 18.43, Elijah says to his servant, Go and look toward the sea. Now, notice that Elijah didn't tell his servant, um, hey, so uh, I'm going to go pray, and uh, God's going to do something, not really sure what, um, so just kind of keep your eyes open. Let me know if he does something. No. God had said, when you pray, I will bring rain, and so Elijah knew specifically what to ask for and what to expect. We'll get into what to expect here in a minute. But he knew specifically what to ask for, and he knew what to send his servant to look for. And he knew that on the top of Mount Carmel, there was a certain direction you looked, and if rain was coming, that's where it was going to come from. And so Elijah got specific, and he got down on his knees, and he said, God, you said you would give us rain, so God, I'm asking you to bring that rain. Some of you have been praying for things for years, but your prayers are pretty general. You know, some of you are coming before God and going, God, I, I want to be more like your son Jesus, so make me more like your son Jesus. 
but you've never actually dug deeper into what that means. You've never taken the time to really listen to God. Uh, rather than saying, God, make me more like Christ, say, you know what? God, I, I've realized something about myself. I, I struggle to love my enemies and to pray for them. And your word says that I'm supposed to. So, God, would you just help me with that? Uh, rather than saying, God, would you make me more like Christ, say, you know what, God, it's something I've realized in our times together is that I'm pretty stingy with my time and my money. And you call me to be generous and sacrificial. And so, God, would you, would you help me be more generous and sacrificial with my time and money? And rather than saying, God, would you make me more like Christ? And you say, you know what, God, we, we've been talking. And I realize that my heart doesn't break for what your heart breaks for. People in need, struggling, the homeless, drug addicted, don't have food, a place to sleep. All of those types of people. God, you know what? I drive past them every day, and I don't even think twice about it. And you, you, I know what your word says, and we're supposed to help those people. And when we do that, it, it's as if we do it to you. So God, would you break my heart next time I see a homeless person on the street? James 4, verses 2 and 3 says, You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives. Notice that this section is called powerful and effective prayers are specific. It's not doesn't say selfish. I think too often a lot of our prayer requests are all about us and about making our lives more comfortable. And God never promises comfort in our lives. If you need a job, ask for a job. If you want a job where your family doesn't have to move, ask God for that. God wants to know what your heart is. He wants to know what your preference is. Uh, but watch your motives. Is your motive for asking for a job so that, that you can provide for your family? That you can put clothes on your kid's back and, and food on the table and a roof over their head? That's a good and noble motive. Is, is your motive because you want to be a greater blessing to somebody else and so the, the greater income you make, the more you can give away and help other people in need? That's a motive that God will honor. But if deep down inside you're saying, God, I, I like that job because well, the salary's better, um, I can get a bigger house, drive a better car, go on better vacations. We never say those words to God, but deep down inside we cherish that in our heart. We hold that dear. And God is not going to honor that prayer request. You've got to watch your motives. But powerful and effective prayers are specific. They're also persistent. First Kings 18.43, uh, Elijah, go and look toward the sea, he told his servant. And he went, his, lot, his servant, he went up and looked. He says, there's nothing there, he said. Seven times Elijah said, go back. Uh, Elijah prayed seven times, literally seven times. Uh, the number seven is important in Scripture because it's the number of, of completion or perfection. And when we see that number seven, we need to stop and, and realize what we're talking about here. And as we look at how to apply this today, what God is saying is that, that you pray until you get an answer. It, it may be two times, it may be seven times, it may be 700 times, but you pray until you get an answer. You be persistent. You keep putting it before God. The people, the nation of Israel waited three and a half years for rain. Some of you have been waiting on God in your physical droughts. You've been waiting on answer for a long, lot longer than that. Some of you have been, been praying about something for decades and you haven't seen any answers come. And you're tempted to just say, you know what? That's never going to happen. I think too often uh, most people give up just when God's answer is right around the corner. You've got to be persistent in your prayers. And then lastly, and this is the one that I've been wrestling with the most uh, with God in my own life, is that powerful and effective prayers are expectant. First Kings 18.44, uh, the seventh time the servant reported, a cloud as small as a man's hand is rising from the sea. So Elijah said, go and tell Ahab, hitch up your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. 
Now, now you, know, you got to picture this scene. Elijah and his servant um, are up on the top of the mountain, and way off in the distance is this little itty-bitty cloud, way on the horizon. And immediately, Elijah goes, Whoa, it's coming! Go tell Ahab, you better get out of here. You, you ever been in a desert region with a flash flood? I mean, this hadn't seen rain in three and a half years. Um, I, I've, I've never um, witnessed it firsthand, but I've seen it on Discovery Channel or in magazines I, I read and outdoor stuff. A, a storm 100 miles away can cause a flash flood in a slot canyon because it's a dry and arid region. And Elijah's looking at this storm cloud, knowing what God had promised. It's the size of a man's fist on the horizon, knowing what God has promised, and he knows what to expect. And he believes that God is going to come through on that. To the very core of his being, to the very fiber of who he is, he knows that God is going to follow through on his promise. So he tells Ahab, you better go. You better get going before the, this whole plane becomes mud and your chariot gets stuck and you're walking a knee-high in mud back to your hometown. Mark eleven twenty two and through 24, uh, Jesus is teaching. He says, have faith in God. I tell you the truth. If anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in his heart but believes that what he says will happen, it'll be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you've received it, and it will be yours. Remember the motives, why we ask for things. If you believe deep down in your heart and your motives are right, then God is lined up with what God wants to do in the world. He's going to answer that prayer. Uh, I worked with a guy several years ago. Um, I was working in a school, and during the summer, I worked for the, the Postal Service, and I'm doing database administration. I got to know this guy over the course of the summer, and, and we were talking. He came from the, the East Coast mountainous region out there. I don't know if it was Virginia, Bill. I, I don't know. Um, but it was somewhere where there's mountains. And uh, he was part of a church, and they were trying to build a new building. Um, but they needed, to, they needed to find land, and they needed to find and uh, raise money for the building. No problem raising the funds for the building. They raised the money to build the building uh, without a problem. They didn't have anywhere to build it. And then one day, uh, somebody calls and says, You know what? Um, so-and-so just died, and they left you a mountain. Literally, a mountain. And so the pastor's like, okay, um, not really what we were thinking about for where we were wanting to build our church, but let's go take a look at it. So he and the contractor go out, and they go up to the top of this mountain. It's, it's a fairly steep mountain, no flat surfaces anywhere. And they're kind of looking around, and the pastor's going, we're not going to be able to build a church here. What good is this mountain? And the contractor actually starts to taunt him. And he says, you know, doesn't your Bible say that if you tell a mountain to move, it'll move? And he starts making fun of the pastor. And the pastor is like, you know what? Thanks. You're, you're right. It does say that. So he stood in front of the contractor, and he cried out in a loud voice to God. He says, God, you told me that if, you, if I pray and, and tell this mountain to move, you'll move it. And so I'm, God, I'm, I'm asking you, you've got to move this mountain. And he said, amen, and nothing happened. The mountain stayed the same. And the contractor was like, what an idiot. And he drove off. About a week later, the pastor's in his office. He gets a call. It's from the Army Corps of Engineers. They got a bunch of recruits that need to learn how to level a mountain, and they just learned that they had a mountain donated to them. Can we come out, bring all of our equipment, and level your mountain for free? He says, yes, you can. If you believe in your heart, you do not doubt. And that's what I'm wrestling with. When, when I pray, do I really believe what I'm saying? Or is it lip service? When, when I pray, do I expect God to move in mighty ways in my life and the lives of others and in the life of this church? 
When, when I pray, do I expect the Holy Spirit to just fill me with expectation for what he's going to do? Do I walk away from that prayer time looking and going, okay, God, you're going to answer this. I know you are. Show me. Or do I say amen and walk away? That's what I'm wrestling with. And I think a lot of you are probably wrestling with it too. You just don't know it. You see, God wants to keep his promises. God promised rain after a certain period of time. Elijah prayed for rain. God kept his promise. There are over 7,500 promises in Scripture that God says to his people. Now, the question we've got to wrestle with on that is some of those promises were made to specific people for specific instances, and they're not universal promises. They're specific promises. Uh, For example, uh, Joshua in Joshua 6, uh, God calls him to march around the city of Jericho seven times, and the walls will fall down, and they will invade the city and conquer it. I've never seen a modern-day military commander walk around a city and the city falls. Okay, that's a specific promise to a specific individual for a specific event. But there are universal promises all throughout Scripture that God gives us. And what we need to start doing is we need to claim those promises. I had a guy on staff with me up in Chicago, and he he would say this in prayer times all the time. He's like, God, I claim this promise. You said in your word, God, and you need to come through on this, God, because you promised it. And we see these promises. You have a physical need? Philippians 4.19 says, And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Now notice it's needs versus wants. Oftentimes we pray about what we want, not what we need. I want a motorcycle. Do I need one? No. But if you guys want to answer that prayer, anybody? Just let me know. Uh, I'm willingly to receive it. Um, but I, I don't need a motorcycle. But what are the needs? And, and you're sitting there going, okay, Chris, but all around the world, uh, there are people who are going to bed tonight without food, without clothing, without shelter. And you're telling me that God has promised to meet their needs. How is it that we have all of these, these social justice issues if God promises that? Well, notice how God fulfill, fulfilled his promise uh, to Paul in, in uh, the church at Philippi when he's in prison. How did his needs get met? Because the church at Philippi took up an offering, sent somebody there to give it to Paul to meet his needs. And if we sit and we look at the world and we say, but there's people that are hungry and naked and have no clothing. God, you're not a just God. God looks at us and says, what are you doing about it? Because my glorious riches, they're in your pocket. They're in your home. They're in your community. What are you doing to take how I have blessed you to help those who are less fortunate? That's how he meets that need. Do you have a spiritual need? Romans 10, 11 through 13 says, As the scripture says, anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. We needed a God who will stand in the gap, who will make it possible for, for us to come into his presence. So he sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross for us. And when we, when we accept that gift, God meets our greatest need that we have, and that is the spiritual need for a Savior. Do you need strength to carry on? Isaiah 41.10 says, So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Some of you are beat down right now by your physical droughts. You're, you're ready to give in and throw in the towel and say, What? It's not worth it. I'm I'm not doing this anymore. I'm not fighting this anymore. Uh, Isaiah says, do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, and I will help you. 
I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. I am there for you, God says. Do you need direction in life? Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Do you need an answer to prayer? Matthew 7, 7, and 8. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks the door will be opened. Do you need hope for the future? Has life got you down? And you're going there. There's no point. Life's not worth living. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16, 17. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. God has incredible promises for us. But we have to believe that he wants to and will fulfill those promises. We have to claim those promises in our lives. And when you pray, do you expect him to? Do you really honestly believe in the power of God in your life and in the lives of everyone around you? Do we believe as a church in the power of God that he wants to do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine in this church and through this church? Do we believe that? Do we claim that? Do we expect it? When we come to church on Sunday morning, do we expect to see God work in this church? Do we expect to see God's presence fill fill this room and so that we walk away knowing that we have been in the presence of God? Do we expect that? Do we claim the promises of God? This is what I'm wrestling with right now. And I hope you're willing to wrestle with it as well. The band's going to come up. We're going to do a new song, appropriately called Promises. It's by a group, uh, New Life Worship Team. I just want to read some of the words to you as the band gets ready here. Uh, This is a song, by the way, that you're going to be singing the rest of the day. I'm just telling you. Nate's been playing it all week. I've been singing it all week. Says, I surrendered my life to your ways. I've learned what it means to obey. Jesus, my heart has been changed by you. I'm walking the path you have made. I'm seeking the truth every day. Jesus, my heart has been changed by you. I couldn't walk away if I tried, because your love is better than life. Let's claim that promise this morning. Thank you for listening to Great Oaks Community Church's weekly podcast. For more series and podcast information, go to greatoakcc.org.